Well, I should um, point out we've got some great artwork up on stage. Thanks to uh, Marga. Uh, you'll, um, uh, rather than explain to you uh, what it is that we see up here, I'll just explain that we've got only our first installation and uh, installation two and three are yet to be um, filled out. But can I encourage you to come uh, and have a look and see how this story has been uh, put into art for us by Marga. And isn't it great that we've got people who um, have gifts like this who are willing to use them uh, in this way to serve. So thank you uh, to Marga. And yeah, after the service, come up and have a look. Uh, What we saw last week uh, in the service uh, is that Joseph was loved and favoured by Jacob, who gave him a a coat of many colours. He wasn't just loved and favoured by Jacob, he was loved and favoured by God, who gave him very special dreams about how he would be exalted and his brothers would bow down to him. But today what we're going to see uh, is that Joseph was hated and despised by his brothers. And so really, this is a little snapshot of the story of the whole Bible, which is a story about um, a son whom God loves, who is loved and favoured by God, and yet who is hated and despised by the world whom he loves. Uh, We mentioned last week that the story of Joseph really points us to the story of the Lord Jesus, who is the true and better Joseph. Uh, And so last time we saw how God gave Joseph these Dreams that came with the full force of the word of God about himself being exalted and his brothers bowing down. And uh, he received these uh, dreams, this word, and he shared this word with his brothers, but the word of God was not well received. Now we saw just how much it can cost to share the good news of the gospel with the people of this world. They said, will you indeed reign over us? Will you indeed have dominion over us? And so it cost him deeply to share the word of God with his brothers. And what we're going to see today is just how much it cost Joseph to share God's word with his brothers. We'll see that it cost the father who sent his son, Joseph, to his wicked brothers. And so we're going to look at the story today under three headings. And the first thing I want you to see through the story is the compassion that flows from the heart of the father. Secondly, I want you to see the compulsion that resides within every human heart. And thirdly, we're going to see the comfort that can be found for a believing heart. And again, these um, headings taken from Colin Smith. So let's start at verse 12. I hope you'll keep it in front of you. Genesis 37, where it says, Now Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And all all of a sudden, immediately, it's interesting that uh, these... um, Sons, these brothers we know, hates the fact that Jacob, their father, has chosen Joseph, his son, to be loved and favoured by giving him the coat of many colours. That's in verse 4. They really do not approve of their father's decision of his son, Joseph. And yet here they are, out in the pasture, doing the father's work. If you were to ask them, are you on about your father's business? They would say, well, of course we are. What do you think we're doing? We're doing the father's work. We're pasturing the father's flock, aren't we? And yet, they were doing the father's work, but not sharing the father's heart. 
How easy it is to hide a heart that resists the Father by hands that are doing his work. Just like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son, the older brother is always doing the father's work. He's out in the field on about his father's business, doing some good deed or some virtuous activity, but all the while resisting the father's heart. And so we must see first up that doing the father's work is a terrible replacement for sharing the father's heart. They're pastoring their father's flock, but it says, verse 12, near Shechem. Now, can you remember the story of Shechem and the Shechemites that we shared last week from Genesis 34? That he had taken their sister Dinah and so they plotted to wipe out Shechem and all of his brothers, slaughtering them mercilessly. And now they're taking full advantage of wiping them out by doing what? Making use of the land. may not... You you may as well not waste an atrocity and use their land and pasture the flock. But remember, Jacob had said in Genesis 34 that he had made his name to stink in the land. And so surely, even though the Shechemites have been completely wiped out, this was not a safe place for them to be because the surrounding tribes, when they caught wind of the fact that they were near Shechem, might think, well, we better be careful. They might be looking for another place to pasture their father's flock. And so surely it was not safe for them and surely their father Jacob was concerned for their welfare. And that's what we see in verse 14. If you look at it with me, Jacob said to Joseph, go now to see if it is well with your brothers. He was concerned about their welfare. And so we begin to see the compassion that flows from the heart of the father for his wicked and rebellious sons who have made his name stink in the land. Firstly, in verse 13... He says, come and I will send you to them. And then these great words, Joseph answered, here I am. Does that sound familiar? You know, that's exactly what Abraham said to God when God called him in Genesis 22 to send him to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. Here I am. It's exactly what Isaiah the prophet said. Will anyone go? Is there anyone to go? Said God. And Isaiah said, here I am. Send me. Joseph says, here I am. A story of a willing son who goes at the beckon and call of his father to reach out to his wicked sons who's concerned for their welfare. And so he sends his son on a dangerous journey to his dangerous sons, verse 14, to see if it is well with them. He wants it to go well with them. And so this is a beautiful picture of the son saying, here I am. And the father who sends his son to a world of sinners who have made his name to stink throughout the land because of their sin and turning their back on him. But the son of God was willing to go. And don't forget, Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. In Luke 10, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. He wants us to share that same compassion of the Father by sending us out to rebellious people to see that it will go well with them. Firstly, this is a love that sends, verses 13 and 14. But it's also a love that seeks, because in verse 16, 
When he arrives in Shechem, the loved and favoured son says, verse 16, I am seeking my brothers. That's why I'm here. I'm seeking my brothers. And so when he can't find them and when they're not where they're supposed to be, he keeps on seeking and he keeps on searching out his brothers to see if it is well with him. Now, um, archaeologists um, point out that the trip from Hebron to Shechem, which is the one that he's making, is about 80 kilometres long in the hot desert sun. I mean, I went to pick up my kids from school and 800 metres long the other day in the hot Perth sun. But here's the son trekking by foot, sandals, 80 kilometres in the hot desert sun to seek and to search his brothers to see if it is well with them. And they're not there. He arrives and they're not there. He can't find them. Surely, after 80 kilometre walk in the sun, you'd say, well, I think I've put in enough of effort. Maybe I'll just go home. And yet he doesn't. They're not in Shechem and he keeps seeking and searching them out. And he says it goes from Shechem. The man tells him they're in Dothan, verse 17. And so he goes a total of 105 kilometers seeking and searching for his lost brothers. Far too often in the car household, you'll hear someone cry out, I can't find my shoes. And then you'll hear the response, well... Have you looked in your room? And of course the response is no. And the truth is, if they were to say it, actually I haven't looked anywhere. And so you see that not a great deal of effort has gone into finding what it was that's been lost. However, if you're a parent and you're out and about and the call is I can't find our daughter's as happened to me this summer. Then I find that the lost item is sought after with a great deal more intention and a great deal more effort. Well, how great is the love of the Father that sends and that seeks through the hot desert sun and when he arrives in Shechem and still doesn't get the result that he's looking for, he goes all the way to Dothan to seek and to search them out. I want you to see how greatly treasured these sons are by the Father who would seek and search them out despite their wickedness and making his name stink in all the earth. And the Lord Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to search out what was lost and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we see the compassionate heart of the Father in a love that sends, in a love that seeks, And also in a love that suffers. Verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with sleeves or coat of many colours that he wore. And they took him and they threw him into a pit. This is a love that suffers for the wicked brothers. Uh, We're given a greater insight into this scene later on in the story when the brothers talk to each other in chapter 42, verse 21, and say, obviously, we're being punished for what we did to our brother. Chapter 42, verse 21. We saw his deep distress when he pleaded with us, but we would not listen. Verse 25, it says, then they sat down to eat. But it wasn't a quiet meal, was it? 
Because just a few metres away as they had their meal was their little brother crying and pleading and begging them to have mercy on him and to lift him up out of the pit. What a meal that was. Friends, can you see that we're being given a picture here of the love of the Father and the love of the Son that overflows with a heart of compassion, with a love that sends and a love that seeks and a love that even suffers. You know, the Apostle Paul in Romans 5 verse 8, it says, Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So great is his compassion for us. So great is his love for those who are lost that he would die for us even while we were still sinning. This is a love that suffers. Sent of heaven, God's own son, to purchase and redeem and reconcile the very ones who nailed him to that tree. And so God has great compassion for those who are lost here this morning. Anyone here who is very lost, God has great compassion for you. Well, secondly, it's not pretty, but I want you to see in the story the compulsion that resides in the human heart. There are three clues in the story that point to this compulsion that resides within every human heart. And of course, the idea of compulsion is that it's a very strong urge to do something. And so it picks up like last week that the thing that we need to be delivered from is not doing a sin here and doing a sin there, but a deeper power and a force and a compulsion from which those sins flow. Which ultimately says, as the brothers said, we will not have this man to reign over us. But we see this compulsion manifest itself in three ways in the story this morning. And the first is through envying or jealousy. Because in verse 11, when he, the brothers, when he tells the brothers that he's going to be lifted up and they're going to bow down to him, it says that they were jealous of him. They envied him. They did not want him to have that. And so they were jealous. We call it the tall poppy syndrome. Cutting people down to size. We don't want him to have that. We don't want them to have that advantage over us. And so I want you to imagine that you have some good friends who are very similar to you. Uh, They've got a similar job, perhaps. A similar income and a similar family situation, whether you're single or, or you're married and, and your kids are doing, if, if you're married uh, and have kids, uh, are doing similarly to you. And, and then one day, uh, these friends, they, they come into money. Or they come into some advantage over you. And all of a sudden, they're not similar to you anymore. They've gained some great advantage over you. And now their life is very different to yours, thanks to this advantageous opportunity that they've had. What's the godly response when that happens to your friends? Surely it's to do what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, verse 15, to rejoice with those who rejoice. And yet how many of us understand in our hearts that that is not where our heart goes? 
that we find it much easier to weep with those who weep. Who have, we have friends who have been brought low and we're able to weep with those who weep. But find it very difficult indeed to rejoice with those who rejoice. And so this jealousy, this envy is a very sour spirit that says we do not want them to have that. And what a special grace it is to be able to rejoice with those who rejoice. But it's not a common grace. It's a beautiful, special grace. Imagine a community of people who are able, yes, to weep with those who weep, but who are able to rejoice with those who rejoice. What a beautiful community that would be. Well, God has placed his favour on his beloved son, Joseph, but they do not want the chosen son to be exalted over them, and so they're jealous of him. The Lord Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And yet how many of us say, No, we do not want that to be given to him. I will not bow to him. We see the compulsion of the human heart in the jealousy of Joseph, verse 11, and then now see with me in verse 18 the res- their resistance of Joseph because they saw him from a distance and before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. So out of love and concern for his kids, the father sends his son on a dangerous journey to seek out their welfare. But while he is still a long way off, They conspire to kill him. They've already made up their minds. They they will not even give him a chance to get anywhere near them. And so what a tragic mistake it is to make decisions about God's chosen son while you're still a far and long way off from him and haven't given him a chance to speak. How different it would have been for them if they allowed him to come near, if they allowed him to express his heart to them and his concern for their welfare and to show his goodness towards them. And so it is for us. How different it would be if we were to allow God's chosen son to come near, to listen to him, to humbly open God's word and hear what it is that he has to say to us. Because the Lord Jesus says in Revelation 3.21, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens up the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. If only you would listen. If only you would open up the door, then you would hear my good intentions towards you. But the compulsion of the brothers is that they conspire to kill him while he's still along way off. Their resistance to the sun reaches a climax, I think, in verse 25, where after they throw him into the pit, it says they sat down to eat. I mean, can you imagine? With his brothers, with his, their little brother just a few metres away, crying and screaming and begging for mercy, asking them to change his mind. He's completely innocent. He hasn't done anything wrong. His intentions are only good towards him. They just sit down to eat. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, the Apostle Paul speaks about the condition of women and men when he says they have lost all sensitivity. 
That's the NIV translation. The ESV says they have become callous. King James being past feeling. In other words, the nature of sin is that every time you do it, it gets easier and easier to do. So if you were to ask Joseph's brothers, how on earth could you become so callous? How on earth could you become so sensitive and insensitive and so impervious to your brother's cries? You need to realise that this kind of thing doesn't happen overnight. I've given you the backstory of what they were like last week. This is a gradual process that happens by stealth. Nobody sets out to be this way. It's just that the more you sin, the easier it gets to sin more. Thomas Watson says, By delay of repentance, sin strengthens and the heart hardens. The longer the ice freezes, the harder it is to be broken. Well, you can see that's exactly what's happening here with these brothers who have got to this point where they have lost all feeling, all sensitivity, where they can eat their dinner while their brother is crying out and screaming for mercy. And so we see, secondly in this story, the compulsion of the human heart in its envy of the brothers, in the resistance of the human heart, and we also see it in the lying of the human heart. Look at what they say in verse 20. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him. Now, thankfully, there's a flicker of grace in the heart of Reuben and in the heart of Judah. And in God's providence, they step in to see that he's not actually killed. And so we see a a glimmer of God's grace at work in their hearts. But still, the brothers go back to the father to perpetrate this incredible lie by dipping Joseph's coat in goat's blood. And then they engage in this great deception in verse 32, where they say, this we have found. See now whether it is your son's robe or not. What an astonishing deception and lie. So rather than living in open defiance against their father, where they'd be found out and caught out, They cover over their wickedness with a lie so that it appears as if they're really still on the father's side despite their wicked crime and lying. And so you see there are some people who live in open defiance against God the Father but there are some who present themselves as loyal sons and daughters. By putting on a mask of religious adherence to cover over their deep resistance to the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ on their lives. And they lie to the Father's face and through their teeth to him. Covering over this evil to the Father. It gets worse in verse 35. If you look at it, it says, Then they sought to comfort Jacob. They had the brazen audacity to seek to comfort him, even though they're the ones who are lying to him. And it's this lie that's causing him his great grief. And somehow at the same time, they find a way to try and comfort him, even though they're the very cause of their pain. And so for years and years to come, Jacob will live with the misery of his beloved son, 
being lost to him. And for years and years, the brothers will live with the misery of having to hold on to this lie and this deception and to conspire against their father, to lie to him about what it is that they've actually done. What a happy household that must have been. Can you see that apart from God's gracious intervention in our lives, that the heart is going to manifest itself with these three compulsions, the compulsion of envy and of resisting the sun and of lying and covering it over with a religious cloak of religious adherence and obedience, envying that God's son should be exalted over us and saying, no, we don't want him to have that. And resisting God's son as he cries out to us and pleads for our welfare. But we will not listen and we will not let him in. And then lying to God, coming into his presence as if we were one of his loyal and faithful kids. You see, when you see the compulsion of the human heart, you see just how desperately we need the intervention of God and his grace and his mercy. And friends, the good news... Remember that these are the 12 tribes of Israel, the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. I hope you'll stay with us in this series to see God's intervening grace and his goodness to transform and to change these wicked sons. But apart from the grace of God, there we all go. And so we've seen the compassion of the Father that streams from the heart of the Father. We've seen the compulsion that resides within the human heart. And finally, briefly, I want you to see the comfort for a believing heart. I don't have a whole lot of time, but I must point out in verse 20 the incredible glory and irony are probably my favourite verse, but we'll just skim on it. It's verse 20 where they say, Let us kill him and then we shall see what becomes of his dreams. What's his dream? His dream is to be exalted and for his brothers to bow down to him. What are they trying to achieve? Their, Their exact intention is to ensure that he is not exalted and that they will not bow down. And guess how it all happens? The reason that he is exalted at the end of the story and the reason that his brothers bow down to him at the end of the story is because of their design to kill him and to ensure that his dreams are not, do not come true. Can you see it? Just reflect on that maybe during the week. What a comfort that is of God's sovereignty over evil. Let's see what will become of his dreams. Well, let's see indeed. But the main comfort I want you to draw is the comfort for Jacob. Because when Jacob hears the news that his son Joseph is dead, it says Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. They came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said no I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father bewailed him. In other words, this life holds nothing left for me. All hope is gone. I was hoping that this son, who was different from his brothers, this beloved son of mine, would 
bring about a turn and a change in our family and perhaps for my sons. And now because he is lost, all hope is lost. This is a deep anguish and agony of soul. And there are people here this morning who know what that's like. Matthew Henry brings these words of comfort. We must never say we will go to our grave mourning because we do not know what joyful days God may yet reserve for us. Jacob had placed his hope in this son who was different to his his other sons, to his wicked brothers. But now all hope is lost because Joseph is lost. But of course, As we read the story, there's something that we know that Jacob doesn't know. And that is that hope is still alive. Verse 36, can you see how the story ends? Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, Jacob. The son that you are grieving so intensely and so terribly, he is not dead But he is alive. You may not see him now because he is in a country far, far away from you. And so while you are not with him, indeed, you will grieve. But you must know that this son of yours has a very special place in God's purposes for the whole world. And you may grieve whilst he is gone. But one day you will see your son face to face, Jacob. Do not grieve as those without hope, because hope is still alive. Do you see what our comfort is in our sorrow? Our hope and our comfort is in the beloved Son who is not dead, but is alive. Jesus Christ, the beloved Son, came on a dangerous journey to seek and to save the lost. His own people conspired to kill him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. They sold him for a bag of silver, even as Joseph was sold here for a bag of silver. He was beaten and mocked and rejected and crucified and it broke the father's heart. But then God raised him to the highest place. This son who was despised and rejected has become the one on whom all of our hopes depend. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so our comfort in sorrow, and for those of you who are in particular sorrow or who have lost loved ones, is the same as that of the psalmist. Weeping endures for a night. But joy comes in the morning. This beloved son is not dead. He is alive. And so let me give you three prayers to pray this morning with these three points. First of all, ask God to fill you with the compassion that sends and seeks and suffers. Dear Lord, your heart is a heart of love that sends his son and seeks out the lost. 
Give me that heart for those, even if they would reject me. Keep me from being easily discouraged in persevering, in sharing the message about this beloved son, though they reject me, though they despise me. And when I get a poor result at Shechem after 80 kilometres of walking in the hot desert sun, give me the perseverance to continue all the way to Dothan, to not give up hope. Let me be like the shepherd who leaves the 99 to seek out the one. Secondly, ask God to deliver you from the compulsion that envies and resists and lies. Lord, deliver us from that sour spirit that will not rejoice in the good that you ordain to give to others. When we hear about some good coming to others, Father, we repent of that sour spirit that says, I do not want them to have that. But help us to rejoice with those who rejoice. And Lord, keep us from holding you at arm's length, making up our minds before you even have a chance to explain yourself to us. But give us a soft heart that would hear your pleadings and your cries to us about your good intentions for our welfare. And Lord, please keep us from lying to you and to others and to ourselves by covering over a a resistant heart with a religious cloak that does the Father's deeds without sharing the Father's heart. Would you convict us and purify us? And finally, ask God to strengthen you through the comfort of the Son who is not dead but is alive. Father, in our sorrow and in our sadness, help us to know that your son is not dead but is alive. And in Christ, for those who are in Christ, weeping may last for the night, but because of your beloved son, joy comes in the morning. Please work these things deep into our hearts this morning and this week. For Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to sing.